Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to Ranks FC it's your favorite football podcast back for a second time this week and maybe not a last my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is our transfer Christmas guru Mr. Dean Jones how you doing mate ho 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 hello Jack here we go it's the big week the big week it is week. indeed Merry uh, Christmas happy holidays happy to everybody holidays listening indeed. yeah absolutely. we're doing a bit of a Christmas special aren't we it's gonna be, yeah there's gonna be Christmas specials for about two weeks because this period is a bit mad obviously episodes don't always drop on the right days this is a period of the year where basically time goes out the window yeah. so we're basically going to drop when and where we can over the next couple of weeks um, until we get into 2024 and into that january window where we'll be covering of course all of the best of the transfer window dean's insight and knowledge but it's all going to get a bit messy from here on in, we're going to be dropping all over the place. So we hope you enjoy this sort of all over the place schedule. We hope it matches with yours. So DJ, what are we doing today? Because I've left this episode firmly in your hands for once. It's a weird one, mate. It's a weird one, but it's a fun one. I thought, right, what are we going to chat about over this Christmas week? Because everything is a bit strange. There's games all over the place. We've covered all the main subjects. We've done the Champions League draw. Uh can we just have some fun? So we just go on a wild ride. And every night I sit there on my iPad, uh, just browsing in the hour before going to sleep or whatever, uh, just reading random football stuff normally. And I always at some point just drop into Reddit and read some stuff. 
basically just scroll through scroll through some um, feeds on football related stuff and a lot of it is absolute nonsense and that's why I do it and mate I was stumbled across a little conversation that people were having and it set a little seed in my mind and yesterday I read another one and I was like do you know what would be fun Let's rank some wild hot takes that are out there on Reddit. We've never done anything like this. It's completely weird, but there are actually some really fun conversations to be had. And honestly, the next hour uh, is going to be a mixture of brilliance, nonsense, Christmas vibes. Like You're just going to have fun. So put your party hat on, get your cracker, uh, or just make a cup of coffee, whatever you want. But honestly, mate, th- this is going to be funny, I promise. Mug of cocoa and off we go. Um, or eggnog, if you <laughs> Eggnog. Prefer. I don't like eggnog. No, me neither. Wouldn't touch yeah. you with a barge pole, but it, it, but it is what it is. We're in that yeah. kind of period of the year. Before we do that, though, there is always time for things we love. And you're going to start us off today. I am, mate. Yeah. Um, the thing that uh, I, I love at the moment has to be the fact that the... The usual order in football has been rocked as we head into this Christmas period. And I think like if you go to a start of the season, you make these predictions for how things are going to pan out across the campaign. You know, you you already have yourself set. You think, right, what will be happening in the Premier League? Well, Man City will be top. And then what will happen from there? What will be happening in La Liga? Well, Barca or Real Madrid will be top. And then you go from there. What about Germany? Well, Bayern Munich will be top. And then we'll see where we go from there. And I thought, hang on a second, somebody's rocked the order. This is not normal. Thank you to Aston Villa. Thank you to Girona. Thank you to Bayer Leverkusen. And thank you to Nice as well, because these four teams in particular are making a splash in the world of football. And they are giving us something to think about for the second half of the season. Aston Villa, well, they're third as we record this. There's a chance that by Christmas Day, Aston Villa are on top of the pile in the Premier League, which is outrageous and would be unbelievable. Girona, to be where they are challenging Real Madrid for that top spot uh, in La Liga right now, is unbelievable. They've done had such a good season to lift themselves this high and then stay there. Leverkusen, the best team in the world right now. Um can't believe this, but I think we might actually have a proper title race in Germany, one that you never expect. Even when there is one, it's usually between like Dortmund and Bayern. You're like, well, it's not really because Dortmund will bottle it. Leverkusen might not be bottlers. We'll find out soon. Well, well, history would tell you otherwise, <laughs> but we, we will see. We will see. And Nice are very nice, aren't they, mate? What a lovely little spin this is. Like PSG, yes, they're on top at the moment, but. Only very recently have they managed to actually get on top there. Uh, nice have set themselves out with one of the best defensive records you're ever going to see in history uh, based on the number of clean sheets they've managed to keep. Um, we'll see whether they managed to keep this squad together because there are some vultures hovering over them as we go into the January transfer window. But Nice... Brilliant what they've shown up so far. I was trying to think of Italy. It frustrates me that they've fallen off a little bit. Don't worry, I'll cover Italy for you a little bit because we're talking about disruptors. I've got some interesting disruptors a little bit lower down the table. Oh, have you? But it does wind me up that Nice have fallen off in the last sort of three games. They lost to to La Havre at the weekend in a very bad-tempered affair. And without that, you're looking at this table and going, you'd not drop those six points, you'd literally be top of the table. And it it is one of those, but it's going to be interesting to see how that one develops. They might 
maybe not quite have enough to actually last the distance in this one. But the fact that they're up there and, and, and challenging and have been for most of the season, very, very hot on PSG's heels, is nice to see nonetheless. It, it is, mate. You're right. Um, and PSG, obviously, there are question marks over what we're going to get from this team. It's a big overhaul that we talked about many times. Um, you would imagine that PSG go on and win the league, obviously. But the fact that there is even anybody coming close to challenging them right now is great. Um, so we've got some big fixtures coming up uh, the weekend before we get to um, Christmas Day. And yeah, mainly I'm looking at Aston Villa and also Girona as the two sides that are causing such a big surprise in the world of football right now. Aston Villa, like the style of football, brilliant, literally producing the best football they've ever produced in the Premier League. And if they do find themselves on top of the Premier League, it will actually be deserved. Like there won't be, uh, oh, this is a bit lucky or... You know, even if you think about the way that Leicester went about things when they got themselves into position and managed to go on and win the Premier League, Villa's style of play is very different, I think, to what Leicester were doing. Um, So, yeah, bearing in mind that Arsenal do play Liverpool uh, in the next game, people, this is why Aston Villa can end up on top. So, yeah, just something I love, mate. It's a bit of fun, obviously, today, and this is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I saw this from a friend of mine, Pete Watt, who does some betting bits and bobs on, on Twitter. And he basically said, if you'd backed by Leverkusen and Girona to be champions in a double on the 12th of August, you've got 50,000 to one. <laughs> With both set to be top of the Bundesliga and La Liga, respectively, on Christmas Day, you won't, bet, you won't find better than 14 to one on the same bet tonight. So I still wouldn't back it, but... <laughs> It's that fall in odds is absolutely remarkable, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a stunner. So, yeah, absolutely enjoy that one. But, yeah, it's great to see different faces, different clubs up there. I think also, you know, certainly with those two in particular, but I would add Aston Villa to that list, Nice maybe a little bit less so. You look at some of the performances that have been put together and this is not flash-in-the-pan stuff. I know it's hard to suggest that anything is flash-in-the-pan stuff at this point in the season, we're near the halfway mark. But I think with Nice already, we're starting to see the last couple of games that's starting to tail off. And I wonder what that looks like in a month's time. But with Leverkusen and Girona, and you look back to that 4-2 win over Barcelona for Girona, and you're thinking, this is not something out of the blue. This is pretty special. And it seems like it's something that feels, at the very least, without injury crises appearing, mm. relatively sustainable. And you're hearing people from the Barcelona camp speak about the fact that Girona played the Barcelona way in so many ways. They were like, that's the football we've always you know, aspired to. And they're doing it really well. And mm. that's, I think, interesting. And then with Leverkusen, who haven't lost a single game in any competition they've played in so far this season, who've scored 74 goals so far across the course of this season. The whole thing is just absolutely incredible what's been put together over there. So, yes, obviously, we hope that there are changes and, and new faces at the top of the tables to, to make things interesting. Mm. But equally, this seems a bit more sustainable than sometimes what you see elsewhere. And, and long may it continue. Oh, so you think a wild take could be that Girona or Villa or Leverkusen actually claim a title? I don't think that's that wild a take, considering the, the positions that the three find themselves in at Christmas. I don't think it would be wild to suggest that one of those three teams could well win a title. Which one is Leverkusen, most likely? I think Leverkusen, Leverkusen probably re- remain the most likely to actually do it. But mm. 
I don't know. That you know, there's something about Pillar or Girona would be wild. There's something it about this side, and there's a lot about this Girona side that I really like. So I can't believe we're even talking about this. Alas, here we are. Um, I want to talk about disruptors slightly further down because whilst those sides are right at the top tier, Bologna are currently fourth in Serie A under Thiago Mata, and Athletic Club currently fifth in La Liga after a huge win over Athletic this weekend. So I'm going to just touch on both of them, you know immediately and one by one because we saw Bologna leapfrog Roma by beating them 2-0 at the Dallara at the weekend and it was about as controlled and composed a performance as I can remember seeing now I'm lucky enough to have been to the Dallara it's an amazing stadium it's very cool in fact I've witnessed this exact game before Bologna versus Roma and that day Kolarov scored a ridiculous free kick I think Roma won 2-1 but it was a really cool atmosphere and Bologna felt like they were stuck kind of irrepressibly in that mid-table rut, occasionally having a little scrap with the relegation places, occasionally having a little flirt with the European places, but nothing too drastic on either side. Mm. And suddenly, this team, without too much major investment, is probably the way I would put it, have turned themselves into genuine challengers. And I don't just mean that in terms of the way that they're looking in the league. But actually, what you look at with their results this season, suddenly we should be like, oh, are we surprised that they've beaten a Roma side, which was lacking in a lot of different players. But actually, it felt very comfortable. And we've seen Bologna already draw with, I think it's Juventus, Napoli and Inter. And they've also beaten now Lazio and Roma. Mm. That's a pretty good going to begin with. For, for any side, but especially this season when we've seen how dominant Inter have been, we've seen that Juve have managed to grind results out, and we've seen that Napoli still have the ability in certain games, even if they're not as consistent, to actually put teams to the sword like they did last year. This Bologna side is very much more than the sum of its parts. And actually, if you go back a few years, Thiago Motta was a figure of fun in the, in the football world. Do you remember? Because he he basically was like, oh, what formation would you like to play? And he was like, oh, yeah, 272. And actually, what he was trying to get out there, and we realized this a lot later, was actually he was talking about vertical lines, not horizontal ones. So he was like, oh, okay, you want two wide players on either side, seven players through the middle, including a goalkeeper. Actually, that's a pretty standard formation (laughs) in, in many ways. But it was the way that it was said. He became this kind of mocked figure. And... He's taken his time to step through the gears in his coaching career. He spoke at the weekend a lot about the fact that he sees Mourinho as one of the great coaches. He was obviously coached by him during his time at Inter. I think he made 40-odd appearances for Mourinho there. But his side here, and yes, you have to caveat with the fact that Roma didn't have Romelu Lukaku. They didn't have Ibala. Uh, Zalewski was injured. Obviously, Tammy Abraham's injured. Chris Smalling's injured. There are key players missing for this Roma side. But the way that Motta has this Bologna side working is absolutely incredible. And you look at the centre-back partnership, just to begin with, Berkemar, who came from RZ Alkmaar, 25 years old Dutch player, and Calafiori, who came from Roma and was a flying left-back insofar as he almost was a left-winger, how high Calafiori used to play for Roma and that left-wing-back role but he very much held down that flank on his own. 
He's had some terrible injury problems. I really like him as a footballer. He's playing as a centre-back here. He's played his first game for Blonier at left-back. They moved him into the middle and he's been there ever since. Almost a mainstay. 21 years old. Beckhamer, 25 years old. And they've become a very, very consistent centre-back pairing very quickly. Ravaglia, the goalkeeper in this game, is not the first-choice goalkeeper. And when he was asked about why he changed his goalkeeper for this game from Lukas Skorupski, who's been the number one at Bologna for most of the season, Bottle was just like, no, this is a group of players. We have two really good goalkeepers. It was it was time for Ravaglia to have a go. And he was like, well, you just switched him randomly for a game in the middle of the season. He was like, yeah. Are you listening, Arteta? Are you listening, Arteta? This is how you do it. Um, but, you know, the midfield, Lewis Ferguson has wore the armband on, on Saturday. And this is a new thing as well that, that Motta does. He shares the armband around to try and encourage leadership from all areas of the pitch. And he rewards players for good performances by giving them the armband. It's it's really interesting what's going on. Salamakas was a you know was a sort of bit part player, and Milan has come back in here and been excellent. While Orsolini's been injured, and Doy came in. Dan and Doy, the young Swiss star who was brilliant at the Euros in the summer, and is such an exciting footballer to watch. Remo Freuler came back to Serie A after that relatively disappointing stint with Nottingham Forest. It's a bit of a team of castoffs, and. Up front, Joshua Xerxes, a player who Bayern were like, oh, we do like what he brings to the table, we don't think he scores enough goals, has become one of the most unselfish strikers in the league while still leading Bologna's scoring charts. Mm. And the way that he dovetails with Ferguson, who seems to be in about eight places at once all the time, the man is an absolute machine, is brilliant. And just the whole thing is working really, really nicely. Motta has more ability to, to glue a team together and... Also, they can mix it up. For the first two minutes of this game, they didn't give Roman the ball. They just knocked it about. And you're like, ooh, okay, they're confident in their own abilities. Roma have sat in deep before. We know they're missing a few players. But the contrast, if you will, from Mourinho's post-game comments, where Mourinho was like, oh, without without Dybala, we don't have the magic. Without Lukaku, we don't have the physicality. Whereas Motta was like, yeah, I'll just change players around because the system is better than the players and the the players slot into it. There, It's more than some of its parts. The difference in those two things is remarkable. The last time that Bologna were in Europe was a game that I was at, and I wonder if you were too. It was the 2002 Intertoto Cup final at Loftus Road between Fulham and Bologna. I was and indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the last time they were in Europe. They are wow. currently in a Champions League spot going wow. into this Christmas period. They played you know, tonight as we record, Tuesday night against Inter in the Coppa Italia, if they win there, then this is going to look very, very clever for me. If they don't win there, it doesn't matter because Inter <laughs> are returning, returning champions, the best team in Serie A. We've discussed it at length and they're already there. Whereas Bologna, just ticking along, maybe a little bit under the radar. And yeah. I really, really like what Thiago Motta's doing. So very Love nice it. to see that. Um, and yeah. the other one is Athletic, who celebrated their 125th anniversary at the weekend. Nico Williams scored. Nyaki Williams scored. The whole thing was just beautiful. And they are, you know, if other results go their way this week, they could be in a Champions League place by the Christmas break. I don't think they will be because I think one of Barcelona, Barcelona and Atleti will win their games this week. But just the way that they're ticking along, it's been five years since Athletic were in Europe. And suddenly everything just feels like it's working again. And obviously we were there last year. 
And there's a lot of love around that club, but there was also a lot of frustration about what we were seeing, creating chances, not being able to put the ball away. There were scenes across the season where you're like, Athletic are better than what their position in the table is is saying. But there's no way of proving that because they can't put the ball in the back of the net. That's all changed. And suddenly the team feels like it's in exactly the right place, exactly where they need to be. Sam Amez is flying. They, un- they unveiled the statue to Iribar before this game. John Rahm did the honorary kickoff. It was all amazing, this 125th anniversary celebration. But it was also Iñaki's 400th game for Athletic. It was Nico's 100th. It's a partnership and a brotherhood, which now basically is the leadership group in this team. They are the wingers that destroy. There are very few wingers who have been better than either of them across the course of the season. And when you you try and deal with one brother, the other one just runs them up. It's, It's incredible to see what they're doing. And it feels like they're on the march in the right direction. I'm really excited about it. I love the fact that Nico signed a new contract a couple of weeks ago. I love the fact that Iñaki has just dedicated himself to this club full stop. And it feels like Athletic are on the verge of something pretty special. Yeah, very good, mate. Well, absolutely then. Shouts out to all our favourite teams from, I guess, the season so far. Uh, Villa, Girona, Leverkusen, Nice, Bologna and Athletic for good measure. Nice one, mate. Yeah, absolutely. The Disruptors. Getting the some disrupt- love. The Disruptors some FC. Love. Yeah, Disruptors FC on Ranks FC. Right, after the break, we're going to be getting in to these Reddit takes from Dean Jones. I can't wait to see what we've got in store here. Don't go anywhere. Happy holidays, Rank Squad. It's your health guru here. It's always a good idea to keep your health in check at a time like this. And Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with everything you have to do in these busy times. So treat yourself to a better lifestyle and you could be as lean as me and Jack before you know it. You can go calorie smart, you can choose vegan, veggie or protein plus. It's your menu. This December, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh food delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash ranks50 and use code ranks50 to get 50% off. That's code ranks50 at factormeals.com slash ranks50 to get 50% off. Cheers. Welcome back to Ranks FC. I'm just going to hand the floor to Dean Jones and see what we've got going on. Here we go, mate. We've got some wild hot takes from Reddit. I've got five of them. We can rank them at the end if you want, see which one you thought was the most wild, see which okay. one you thought was the most tame. Uh, probably the easiest way to do it. Um, they're very different conversations that we're going to have here. Uh, I think you'll all be laughing a- along at some points, wherever you are right now, walking your dog, driving your car, sitting on a train, whatever. Um, here is the first hot take that I stumbled upon on Reddit that, yeah, planted that seed that got this episode off the ground. Here we go. Hot take number one. Evan Ferguson could reach the heights of Erling Haaland in his future career. And here is the reasoning that was behind this post. The poster says, there's an intriguing perspective on Evan Ferguson's potential to outshine Erling Haaland in the future. While Haaland's goal-scoring prowess is evident with a remarkable goal-per-game ratio, Ferguson could one day 
reach these heights. Analyzing data from recent games, Ferguson has clearly shown ability that he has what it takes to not only be an exceptional goal scorer, but also a playmaker. His agility and ball control statistics compare favorably with Haaland's, suggesting a potential avenue for exploiting defensive vulnerabilities. By introducing an element of unpredictability, Ferguson may create situations where statistical advantages alone cannot fully capture the complexity of his gameplay. Moreover, in terms of adaptability, Ferguson has showcased a diverse set of skills, making it difficult for opponents to anticipate his moves. While Haaland's consistency and goal-scoring records are formidable, Ferguson's potential to redefine strategies and play with a certain unpredictability could be a key factor in surpassing expectations in the long run. It's an unconventional perspective, but in the world of football, surprises often come from those who dare to challenge the norm. Evan Ferguson, goat. What are we saying, Jack? Yeah, I mean, I think they're underselling him. If anything, <laughs> Evan Ferguson's Evan biggest fan, yeah. The first player to win 10 Ballon d'Ors. Um, <laughs> no, look, I, I think there's some some immediate caveats I would give here. Uh, one that Evan Ferguson is 19 years old and he's sort of knocking about around the starting 11, but isn't guaranteed starter at Brighton. When Haaland was 19, he scored 40 goals and got six assists between Borussia Dortmund and RB Salzburg. <laughs> it's a pretty remarkable record. And I actually think that the OG poster here has a real point when he's talking about the way that Ferguson can mix and match in terms of his, his skill set. But I actually think that the brighter and maybe more apt comparison for Ferguson is to become a Harry Kane-esque player. I think he has that skill set. Mm. And I think that when you're talking about Holland, you're talking about someone almost completely different. You can talk about different types of number nine and all of those things, and that's fine. But Holland is a pure goal scorer who is going to bang in goals left, right and centre for his entire career, barring any sort of catastrophic injury. Yeah, Kane fulfills lots of different roles. Now, you can argue one is better than the other if you want. It doesn't really matter. They fulfill very different tasks and they do very different things to bring other people into play. Holland is a stretcher. He likes to open games up. There was a reason he was so prolific in the Bundesliga. I think what we're seeing from Kane is obviously that ability to score goals at a much later level. And it's worth pointing out at this point that we're talking about Harry Kane, who actually was a bit of a late bloomer in Very terms late, of yeah. the way he actually exploded onto the scene. Ferguson's kind of growth platform is slightly more in tune with that than perhaps Holland, who was you know, maybe being touted as the greatest player on earth at the age of 18 years old. So they're slightly different in that comparison. And I think that if Ferguson's going to go anywhere with that expanding his skill set, it is down that Harry Kane path. And I think that that's important and maybe maybe even more useful for whoever goes on to sign him. Yeah, so Evan Ferguson, England's future number nine is what you're obviously indicating here. No, Evan, sadly, Evan Ferguson is poor. No, he's, he, I saw an interview with him the other day. Um, I got and, very annoyed about an interview with him the other day when they were like, "Why, why are you not England?" He was like, "Because I'm." Why, why have you chosen English? Ireland? Why are you choosing Ireland? Because I'm Irish. All <laughs> yeah. oh, right, okay. <laughs> I thought that would have rattled you. Uh, it rattled was, me. Yeah, it's actually it was an interview by a friend of mine. Actually, um, I should have I should have sent you his number so you could uh, have had a little word with him. Um, 
Okay, then. So if that's the path we're looking at for Evan Ferguson, what's you love him because you're you're Irish, kind of. Um, what's your dream destination for for Evan Ferguson? Because he's obviously linked to like Man United and all, Chelsea and all sorts. But Man where United's would you... not Man United right now. <laughs> yeah. So don't send him to the graveyard of dreams. No. Uh, but it's I, I don't know, and I actually think that the best thing for Evan Ferguson is to continue getting those minutes and getting those reps at a club. Brighton feels perfect, right? Because there is an element here where you're looking at him and what he's doing and thinking, okay, you're getting those opportunities. You, the pressure isn't wild on you because the expectations aren't through the roof at Brighton. And also you're still getting that European you know, exposure to European competition. You're getting those minutes in the Premier League. You're getting regular starts against top quality defenders. You're expanding your skill set under a manager who is, at the moment, rated amongst the best in the world. Where would he go that I would be intrigued by? Well, I think that there would probably be something to be said for Aston Villa under Unai Emery, especially with the type of strikers that Emery has developed and helped to coach during his time. I think that would be a very, very interesting move, although I don't know if he would see it as all that much of a step up in terms of where he is right now. Title-willing Aston Villa. Title. If, if Villa win the title, <laughs> Evan Ferguson should go to Villa. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. I, I think there's probably scope for a number nine to walk in at Tottenham, but that is a big shirt to fill because of what's happened with Harry Kane. And I think that whilst Ange is doing some brilliant stuff there, there is obviously competition in that if things don't go to plan straight away, Son can come through the middle again. Richarlison's still knocking around. There will be expectation on whoever does take that, you know, number nine, if you will, shirt at Spurs is going to step up and be able to deliver in the way that Kane did. And I think with those comparisons already being drawn by me, first of all, but by lots of people, I think, that there would be an unholy amount of expectation on that. And yeah, I think he could probably deal with it. I think mm -hmm. if he was going to go anywhere in, in the sort of traditional big six, Spurs is the place that I would be like, that would be interesting, especially under a system that like Postecoglou's that yeah. revolves around the striker doing lots of different things. I think that would expand his skill set. You just want him to go somewhere with a good coach, don't you? a coach who improves players. Yeah. And I think that both Postecoglou and Emery would fall into that category. Very good. Very good. Um, let's go on to hot take number two. Jurgen Klopp is a better manager than Pep Guardiola. I'll explain. I'll let the OG do the explaining. He says, yes, Pep may have more trophies in his career, but he has all the resources and everything handed to him on a plate. The greatest Barcelona team ever. Bayern Munich, who have basically monopolized the Bundesliga. Not anymore, mate. Leverkusen are taking over. And Manchester City where he basically has unlimited money to spend. Jurgen Klopp makes and transforms mediocre teams with minimal, I'm not sure about this, minimal financial backing. Debatable. He finds good players and makes them superstars. Royce, Lewandowski, Gundogan, Hummels, Mane, Matip, Robertson, Salah. Name me one player who Guardiola has transformed that wasn't already on his way or was already a superstar. Jürgen is clear here. Um, it's a nice discussion. I mean, um, it's almost impossible to prove, but um, it is interesting, isn't it? Because like, I mean, the main argument you could make is, well, 
Pep Guardiola is put into those clubs and succeeds at those clubs because he needs to be at that level to succeed because of the way that his mind works and the players that he needs to implement what he has in mind. But I do like the argument of that Jurgen Klopp does have to improve everybody and has to think a little bit differently. Um, there are a couple of responses that I'm going to read out before you uh, dig away at this. There were two that really um, stood out. One was uh, in retaliation to Guardiola not transforming anyone. Somebody said, yeah, well... Yeah, I think that bit was harsh. That was yeah, going to be my first point of conflict. Okay, he's like, well, okay, let me just point out three straight off the top of my head. Diash, Cancelo and Bernardo Silva weren't as good as they are now before they joined City, and I think that's Guardiola's work. So we can talk about that a bit further in a minute if you want. But the other point says, whilst I agree Pep has had more resources than Klopp, he still completely changed the way football was played in the last decade. The Premier League used to be a fast-paced, direct, end-to-end game of football. And now it's based on quick, short, tick-attacker-style play, which Pep made popular in his Barca days and then transitioned that over to the Premier League. In regards to transforming players, sure, Klopp has, has him beat, but is finding hidden gems not more of a credit to his scouting team? Klopp wouldn't be the one picking them out of thin air and then analysing them. I think arguing that Pep isn't as good as Klopp because of the fact he's only managed big teams is ridiculous because surely the best managers manage the best teams. And if Klopp was that good, why didn't Barcelona, Bayern Munich or City hire him at some point over Pep Guardiola? Bayern Munich tried, I think. So (laughs) that's worth pointing out. I think more than this is a question of two different things, right? Pep Guardiola is the greatest innovator at the top level of football since Johan Cruyff. He might go down as the greatest innovator ever, in football with the way that he's developed things and the way that he looks backwards and finds different strategies. Klopp has had to do more with less, and I completely agree with that. And the kind of question always comes back to this point. If she was if Fulham had a choice between these two managers, who would I trust to, you know, do a better job or or be able to build things with the resources that Fulham have? I think you'd probably argue that you'd want Klopp in that situation as opposed to Pep. But does we that don't make, want Pep at Fulham. Does Get that out make of here. Him a better manager? Probably <laughs> not. It's just he would have the background and the workload in order to do things. But both of them would succeed. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But I just think that in terms of working with less, Klopp has had more experience at doing that, and therefore you're looking at the past record in that in that regard. So they're two very different types of managers. One of them has completely changed the face of football and the other one has had to battle against that and succeeded again in, in, in a very different way. So mm. I don't mind the argument. I don't necessarily agree with it because I think you have to look at it more holistically than just Klopp transforms players better than Pep, so therefore he's a better coach. I think it's a bit more nuanced. Than I'll tell you what though, if Klopp did win the Premier League this season... That would rattle things a little bit. If that this Liverpool team, this new version of a Liverpool team, beat this version of Man City to a title, that would change it a little bit. I'm not saying, I, I don't know how you separate these two things, but I think you could then argue that a Liverpool title this season would be a better achievement than any of Pep's at Man City. Maybe. But then Maybe. the question mark then becomes how much of it is due to fall off as opposed to you know rising up. And well, that's Pep Guardiola's fault, mate. He's a rubbish manager. Maybe I spend <laughs> a lot of time talking to lads at the Anfield Wrap, and you know a lot of my friends 
in in football are are Liverpool fans, and you know, this is a, a club that I have all sorts of respect for. So I have you, you kind of look at that, and a lot of them are a bit like I'm still not quite sure what's going on. It's not that suddenly we're absolutely brilliant in the way that perhaps they were the season that they last won the title. Because like, it felt like that point Liverpool were absolutely on a steamroll that they were you know, dialing towards something that was very, very special. This season feels a little bit more confused. And we've spoken about it in the past that it almost feels like Liverpool are setting up for a run, at, a proper run at it next season. And they're a little bit almost ahead of schedule. Yeah, And I, I find that intriguing in terms of just what this feels like from a Liverpool perspective, as, as opposed to the last time round when they did win the league. Does it feel different? I think it does. I think it feels like a slightly more thrown together moment. But yeah. I do think Klopp's good at managing those kind of moments. So it, it it kind of goes back to the original point. What are you looking for in a manager? If you are looking for the greatest innovator of the modern game or the, you know, the very least recently modern game, you're looking at Pep all the way. If you're looking yeah. for someone who is going to be able to make those decisions on the fly, change things in a, you know on a whim and actually make it work, whatever's thrown at him, then Klopp is often the answer as well. Look, they're two great managers. I don't think we're, we're kind of splitting hairs in the argument. I don't think it's that wild a take because I don't think that, you know, arguing that a manager who transforms players is better than one who innovates is that strange an idea. I just don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah. No, that's fair enough, mate. I like it. I'm glad to have this conversation. I told you we were going to be talking about some weird and wonderful stuff today. Um, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. The third hot take is a little bit different from the last two conversations we have because it's not as specific as just talking about players or managers. Get ready for hot take number three. Here it comes. The majority of the modern players have no passion for their club. It is all about money. How football was different in the 2000s and before that time. That's all there is to this post. I think it's a really interesting concept and idea. and. I think there's probably an element of truth to it. But I think that there are factors involved in why it might seem, at least, that players don't have the same passion or desire now than they did in 2000 or 92, 93 when the Premier League was launched. If we were having this discussion in 2005, people would have been saying, players don't have the same passion that they had in the 90s. It's yeah. just a it's just a rolling conversation. It happens, and also there is an element of you know the good old days to everything, right? Everything feels nice in sepia when you're rewinding twenty years and watching it on a box screen, and it looks like there are different elements. And the game has changed, and it's not as blood and thunder as it was ten years ago, and it wasn't as blood and thunder then as it was ten years before that, and it probably wasn't as blood and thunder at that point, and it was ten years prior to that as well. There are different elements of the game. When you look back to the original you know, rules of football, the Cambridge rules at the very least, I know the Sheffield rules were the ones that were adopted, but the Cambridge rules used to allow you to just whack people's shins. It was part of the game. And mm. the, obviously it's changed since. And the way that football develops means that whilst things are cyclical, I do think that technical attributes are being pushed more and more and more. You know, We're talking about goalkeepers these days and looking at, the top clubs and going, well, that keeper didn't sign for them because he wasn't good enough with his feet. He wasn't good enough to play out from the back. Now, whether that's going to be a thing forever, I don't know. But I do think that we are getting to a point where 
20 years ago, you could have looked at a player and been like, yeah, okay, they might not be the best with the ball, but their physicality is on a level that allows them to do different things. And I remember that, you know, uh, game between Chelsea and Liverpool in the Champions League. And there's this famous line from a, a newspaper report at the time that basically was like, if Chelsea were better than Liverpool, it was only because they were jumping higher, running faster, smashing into players harder. And it wasn't about any sort of technical aspect of it. And look, that was part of the modus operandi of that Chelsea team at the exact moment. That's not really a criticism of them. It was just a, a line that stands out. I can't remember the last time I looked at a game and thought that kind of thing about it because of the way that the game has evolved to at this exact point. And with the addition of VAR, with the addition of, of, kind of looking back at decisions, you're going to get away with far less than you ever used to be away, you know, able to get away with in the past. That's just a natural facet of the evolution of the game. And so therefore you can't kind of have that physicality and, you know, you know, a little bit of Vinnie Jones grabbing someone by the balls and getting mm. away with it. If that happened in the modern game, he'd be sent off because the VAR would be like, obviously, look at that. That's insane. And he wouldn't just be sent off. I think that would, so. that would have been a major, <laughs> major issue in like life. Like, he'd be on like so. a charge, yeah. <laughs> but equally, you're kind of looking at it and be like, well, obviously, the natural pattern of the game means that we have changed the way that we look at things. And so I don't know if passion can be put down to just money. I think it's just the natural evolution of the way and the kind of improved technicality of the game means that you don't get as much of that old school kind of grit. No, it's still a thing. And I think this is particularly specific to English football. A big challenge in a game, a big hit, will get a bigger clap and a bigger roar and a bigger response from the crowd than a brilliant nutmeg and a fly down the line. And I think... In other football cultures, that's not the case. Skill is prioritised, rewarded, applauded by the crowd in a way that huge tackles are in England. And mm. there is something about that that gets to me. I would rather see that moment of skill than someone smashing someone in the middle of the park. Yeah. What I think this also comes down to is identity and a fan base seeing their own where they're from being reflected within a pitch. So if you think now, whether it's Newcastle, Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, they spend all this money, yet the guys that the fans really relate to are the guys that either was wearing a Chelsea shirt when he was seven years old or played for the academy when he was nine years old or you know made his breakthrough as a 15-year-old, whatever. Like They're the guys you see now being having this level of sense of attachment, right? And that's because the locality that used to exist within the game in 2000 or beyond that when the Premier League was launched in 92, 93 just can't be there anymore because the game's grown too big. And if you think... That's just globalisation, right? It's globalisation and, and that is a big part. So if you consider this question, like modern players have no passion for their club. Well, it goes without saying that if you're if you've grown up in Brazil, for example... And then suddenly you're playing, say, for Fulham, you might not have the same sense of pride in that shirt as you would have if you were born 10 minutes away from Fulham Stadium and grown up there. I feel like that's pretty natural. Looking at in 92, 93, I'm looking at the list of foreign players here, right? The list of well, foreign players. Wasn't there? You is listed have more than three, I'm going to say. Yeah. And it was, so, it's, 
like the foreign players, all the top ones was Scotland had 43, Wales had 33, Ireland 33, Northern Ireland 13. Then the first actual country that feels foreign is Norway, who had eight players within the Premier League, right? So eight players. You look at this now, how far the game has changed and come in in that time and this globalisation of the, the game. Currently, in the Premier League, you've got 32 players from Brazil within the English top flight. Then you've got 27 from France, 21 from Netherlands, 20 from Spain. It goes all the way down to, you know, we've got guys from, there's three players from Burkina Faso. You've got two from the Czech Republic. You've got a couple from Albania. You've got one from Estonia. You've got one from Gabon. There's not going to be that same, like, of course, all these guys care. They, 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 of course, they care, even if it's just from a, um egotistical well, self. For, even from a professional perspective, yeah, right? Yeah, professional point, they care, but it might not seem that they care and it might seem like they care about the money because also for some of these players, the money means everything. If you're coming from a background whereby you had nothing and now you're suddenly on 150 grand a week. And able to yeah, look after your family. 100%. Part of you is going to be there for the money. So I think that's probably where it comes from. Also, this is in many ways, if people think this is a negative that's fine. You can you can have that opinion. It's not that strange to think, okay, the localization of the game, especially in England where there are, what, thousands and thousands of hyper-local football clubs yeah. further down the pyramid, it's almost natural to, to look at it in some ways that it's changed. And look, you don't have to think it's for the better or for the worse. It doesn't really matter. It's just changed. And the point being that when you do that, it you you kind of look at what the Premier League is and you get the same... People, I would imagine, arguing that the Premier League is the best in the world. Well, the Premier League got the right steals. The Premier League jumped the shark on commercialization. And the reason that the Premier League has the money to spend on these players is part of the same reason that the Premier League launched itself as the world's league in so many ways. Mm. And so it's kind of a monster with its own, eating its own tail. The whole thing is linked to you know, that element of why the Premier League was able to get ahead of the others because of that smart commercialization. And then it fed the monetary monster that it now exists. So all of that then goes, well, you bring the best players in. It doesn't matter where they're from. And it all sort of feeds into the same argument, right? Yeah, I think you're right, mate. I think you're right. So it was a good, interesting chat, wasn't it? That was, that was a chat we haven't had. I think we actually did do a conversation like that once on live score. But apart, apart from that, I'm not sure we've ever spoken about it over here. Here is Hot Take. Number four, and the reason this is so hot is because it was written in August. Someone he posted on Reddit, I feel an underdog story is going to happen in the Champions League this season, just like Porto in 2004. It's been 20 years since Porto won that, and this is the last season before the expansion of the Champions League, so it feels like it's right that we have an unexpected winner obviously we've just done a champions league show uh, on the last 16 draw so do go and have a listen to that if you haven't already where we break down that last 16 but jack i don't know that there's a clear favorite to win the champions league despite the fact i have um held my feelings to the mast that real madrid are gonna do it in spite of whether they have Alaba or whatever happens the big underdog story of real madrid winning the champions yeah league. <laughs> but if i'm wrong and if real madrid don't go on and win this tournament which there's a chance of is there an underdog story to be had here? I think you look at this last 16 and there are some interesting names in it in terms of underdogs. And I, I wonder what constitutes an underdog. Because whilst that Porto side weren't expected 
to go on and win the trophy. They had won the UEFA Cup, now the Europa League, the season before. They beat Celtic in the final. They were managed by a young Jose Mourinho and they had an exceptionally talented young team. I think what was really interesting about that year was actually the fact that it was Monaco that they faced in the final. And it was almost like, oh, whoever wins, this is pretty interesting. It's not, you know, one underdog side coming up against an obvious big gun favourite in, in, that, in that kind of regard. You look at the last 16, you go, who out of this would be considered an underdog story if they won the tournament? Right, Copenhagen, but they come up against current holders, Manchester City, across two legs. Going to be very difficult. Real Sociedad would be considered an underdog story, and rightly so. Will Real Sociedad win the Champions League? I don't think so, but I think of the underdog stories, they're probably the best bet. PSV have been absolutely exceptional in the Eredivisie, but I think we've seen from their performances, even if they have improved over the course of this group stage, that it's going to be very difficult for them to win it. I suppose the question then becomes, if Arsenal win the Champions League, is that an underdog story? Yes, it is. 100%? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the fact that they are one of the richest clubs on the planet and because it's so unexpected that Arsenal so unexpected that Arsenal will go on and win the Champions League this season that if, is an underdog if story if Atleti win it are they, is that an yep. underdog story yep and PSG I've never done it you can't call PSG an underdog story <laughs> <laughs> I refuse so I mean of the teams who could legitimately win it I think Atleti probably stand in that category I think Napoli even if they haven't been great this season if they find any sort of semblance of the form that took them to the title last year and made them probably the most exciting team to watch in Europe, probably have a shot, but it would take a real turnaround from what we've seen from them so far this season. Mm. Porto or Arsenal, I assume, both would be underdog stories. I don't think Porto are going to win it. I think Arsenal have a shot. PSV or Dortmund would both be underdog stories. Real Sociedad. They're probably the ones that you're looking at and going, they've got a shot at it. But it's going to take something remarkable. And of all those teams, Arsenal probably come top of a mini ranking, then Napoli and then Real Sociedad for me. Because just the way they play, the way that they played against Inter, who have been maybe the best side in Europe so far this season, has been very, very impressive. But they're going to have to get through some big ties. And the problem is, you get up against the favourites in Real Madrid, Manchester City, Bayern Munich and, and Inter to an extent. And you have to beat them over two legs unless you get mm. to the final. It's going to take something pretty miraculous in terms of draws and a pathway for that to open up for anybody. And that's where I struggle. But I would love it. Now, Real Sociedad winning the Champions League would make me <laughs> so unspeakably happy. <laughs> yeah, I thought you would like this one, I have to say. Um, yeah, in terms of it, it's a hot take, because, but it's a hot take that I think we won't see come through um okay the final hot take before we rank these in terms of being the wildest to the tamest is one on jude bellingham it says super hot take on jude bellingham and the describer says i honestly think jude bellingham will turn out to have a greater career than Kylian mbappe or erling Haaland." and i don't say that because of his talent yes he is talented of course but nothing that we haven't seen. The reason I say he will turn out to be one of the greats is because his mentality is so tough and his leadership so unbelievable for his age. It will shape him up to be one of the best CMs ever. Now, one issue I have with this, and I'm not sure he's going to be a CM, 
uh, when it was written, uh, he might have been. But um, I was just looking at a transfer. He's already played five positions since joining Real Madrid. He's played left midfield, left wing, support striker, attacking midfield and right midfield. And he might even end up just being a striker at the rate he's scoring goals. Jude Bellingham has got 13 goals from 15 games in La Liga so far. And in the Champions League, he's got four goals from five games. His overall record, 20 games, 17 goals, five assists at the age of 20, playing for the biggest club in the world, if you want to uh, pitch him as that. So, look, there is nothing more that this guy could be doing to throw himself into that bracket. And, mate, I think I think this might be right. I think this could happen. Yeah, I don't think it's like a particularly wild take. I know that sounds mad, but I, I think that we're already putting him in these categories. He's won Golden Boy this year, and, and rightly so. There will be talk of him being if he continues this form on for the rest of this season in that Ballon d'Or top five next season. I think there's very few players who can argue that they have started the season better than Jude Bellingham has. My potential problem with this is that I'm very worried about Jude Bellingham's injuries slash body giving up on him already. I'm not saying it's going to give up on him in the next two, three years, but I'm worried about his longevity. We're seeing Ancelotti, okay, he sub, subbed off for the weekend because Ancelotti thought he was going to be sent off because the referee kept saying, be careful with me to him, which was a bit weird. But Ancelotti said, when I'm trying to get minutes away from him, he's still nursing a shoulder injury. We saw last year and the year before all of that strapping already on Jude Bellingham's knees to try and get him through those last bits of the Champions League campaign. We saw him miss the crucial elements of those final days with Borussia Dortmund that probably led to them actually giving up the title mm-hmm. on the final day. I actually agree with everything that's been said. And I do think that there is a temptation in the modern game to look at players who produce ridiculous numbers. And I think this is the Ronaldo Messi effect. And often forget about the players controlling things in the middle of the park because those numbers, those goal assist numbers, aren't always as sexy as what's been put out by players who are right at the top and, and being those crucial elements in the in the final third. And ultimately, when you boil football down to its most simple form, you score more goals in the mm. opposition, you win. And so those players are always going to have premiums attached to them, price-wise. But also, we're going to have that element of stardust about them. I'm intrigued by this Bellingham position thing because I know you think he's going to end up as a striker. I don't. I think he will eventually revert to being a centre midfielder who just has the ability to do lots of different things. And I wonder if that just looks, we look back at the end of this career and think, what a player. Incredible. Wish he'd not been played so much when he was so young so that he could have played at the top level past the age of 28, 30. That worries me a little bit. Uh, and also, I just think that when it comes down to it, there is almost a generation conditioned by the numbers of Ronaldo and Messi that I don't think Jude Bellingham is ever going to get up to in a way that I think Kylian Mbappe and, and Erling Haaland will. So it's a, probably a different conversation. But I think that it's not the wildest thing in the world to say that there will be people at the end of his career who go, actually, I would have rather had Bellingham than both of them. I think it's interesting that Mbappe and Haaland both been linked with Real Madrid and you expected really one of them to be there by now. 
and they're not and it doesn't matter because Drew Bellingham is uh, like so I'd say that that actually does give him even more of a reason to be included in this conversation so yeah I, I find that very interesting we'll be back in 10 years to talk about whether that actually came through uh, make sure you stick with us on Ranks FC uh, mate so let's see what you thought was the most wild or favourite hot take out of the lot we had Evan Ferguson reaching the heights of Haaland in his career we had Jurgen Klopp pitched as a better manager than Pep Guardiola we had the fact that modern players just have no passion for their club all they care about is money at four we had that underdog story happening within the Champions League and at five we just spoke about the goat Jude Bellingham um no we spoke about the goat in the first hot take (laughs) (laughs) so which one did you like mate I liked all of them. I thought they were all interesting. The one I disagree with probably the most is the modern players one. I think that is just a natural evolution of the game. Yeah. And I don't think it... Whilst I agree that I think there is less passion from players who aren't hyper-local to their club, and there's always going to be something about your boyhood team and coming through and representing the place where you're from, that just is a smaller facet of the modern game than what it used to be. And I think that's just kind of natural. I'd love to see an underdog win the Champions League, but I think that's probably the most unlikely. Mm. I then probably put the Ferguson one below the Bellingham one. I think the least wild take here is the Klopp one. Because I think that just depends on what kind of managerial style you prefer. Mm. But it's still pretty wild, so I'll give it to you. Yeah, I think the most wild is that Evan Ferguson is going to be the next Erling Haaland. Um no, he's going to be the next Harry Kane. Yeah, it's just the wrong player. Yeah, exactly. But that was fun. I enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoyed it too. Um, for more like this, <laughs> go on to Reddit every night before you go to bed. As a Christmas special, I thought that was Christmas a special, mate. Some we've interesting had a debates. Right? Five interesting debates there that we would never have had otherwise. Fantastic. Great stuff. Loved it. Loved it. And do you know what else I'm going to love? Guru Wisdom with a Christmas twist in part three. We'll be back after the break. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks AFC. Jack and Dean here, coming back for Guru Wisdom. Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom. Guru Wisdom this week comes around Christmas, the Guru's Christmas tips. Now, for more of this, on Patreon every year, we do do Dear Dean, where you can actually write into me and I'll give you my advice for the end of the year, for the festive season on how to get through life. I've dropped that post on there today and already I've got some amazing questions coming in. So that, um, that episode... Ranks will... the Agony Uncle Dean Jones. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that episode so much. And there is actually one part of this little um, ranking that people will remember from there last year and the year before. My first Christmas tip though, Jack, don't get too drunk on Christmas Eve. It's such such an easy mistake to make and it's such an error um now i don't have the chance for this to even happen to me anymore barely drink more than two or three beers and i'm glad i don't too because when i was i reckon between 18 and when did i get most 24 um those were the times when i had no responsibility no respect for myself or my body um and I would just go out, not really understanding 
what I was doing really. I was just drinking along, throwing shots down and beer and WKD or whatever anyone had bought for me, basically. Don't forget, in those Cubicardi days. Cubicardi breezes. Cubicardi breezes. It was like a pound of drink back then compared to the 10 pound it is these days. So it was a lot easier to get drunk. And by the way, I'm not advocating drinking. If you're not drinking this Christmas, good for you. You're making the right decision. You do want to have a Christmas drink and you go out on Christmas Eve. It's very, very easy to get excited and to start getting carried away. Now, this is something I imagine you've done on more than one occasion. Um, I love Christmas Eve. It's It's a great night out, mate. But the hangover on Christmas Day is one of the worst things you can experience when you're around your family. You've got that morning present rush. You've got all the food to come. You've got wine at the table or whatever. You've got your cousins coming over, whatever it might be. I remember one year we were staying at my aunt's uh, and it wasn't far from where I, I live. So I was able to go out as usual on Christmas Eve with my mates. Uh, had too much to drink. Got a kebab on the way home. Got into my aunt's. And I was sleeping on the floor in the lounge. And the next morning, everybody came in to do the presents. And I was fully clothed with a doner kebab on my face, just laying there in the <laughs> next to the presents. And I remember feeling so horrendous. Everybody laughing at me, taking pictures, um, which I hope don't exist anymore. And I don't want anyone else in the Ranks FC environment to have to experience that. It wasn't a good moment. Donna kebabs are also a bad decision. Yeah, uh, they sometimes. are. Actually, I absolutely <laughs> go with you on that one. I remember Tom and I used to go out on Christmas Eve. We'd go and do mass of the family, get the carols in, love a carol. And yeah. then go out and we used to go to the pub we used to drink in, which was called Jono's. It was an Ealing Common. And Jono's was one perpetual rocking it was the most amazing place in the world but we used to leave there about we'd, we'd see christmas in and then we'd leave there about half 12 and john is about a 40 minute walk from home but there wouldn't be any public transport at that point so we'd walk home always and that would clear it because yeah. then by the time you got back you're like cool bed now we'll have to be up in five hours because Oof. my cousins are here they're all about six yeah they're running around but it used to be great I used to love that Love that. It was, uh, yeah. it was very special. I agree with you, though. Obviously, if you, if, you, if you struggle with the next morning, it was something that, thankfully, I never really struggled with. Yeah, um, I did. I bounced quite nicely. Still would. Um, do not overindulge, people. Um, number two, uh, it's, well, it's just become a staple, really, of my Ranks FC advice for life. If you don't know what to buy someone for Christmas, get them some nice socks. I mean, it's it's just the advice that I'll continue to go through until the day I die. Because you can't go wrong. Whoever it is, just look at what socks they tend to wear and buy them the best version they could have of that that they wouldn't go and buy themselves because it's stupid to spend £20 or $20 on a pair of socks because you can usually get five pairs for a tenner. But Correct. That special pair will feel very special when you pull them on. And it does feel like a nice little treat. And I've even got to the age, I think, where I wouldn't mind a pair of socks. I wouldn't mind it, mate. If the kids have got me some nice socks for Christmas, I think I've reached the point where I really like it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'd still be a bit miffed. I would genuinely rather the five pairs for a tenner. Yeah, but I'm saying for your dad... I think he'd appreciate Dad it. That's walking socks. Yeah, 100%. there you go. Yeah, no, I, I, Imagine I appreciate the best walking that. socks. I think if love I it. my mum's socks, you'd be livid. So I'm not going to say. Would see what about like those comfy ones they wear around the house, or 
for say for Taylor or Lucy, these socks, the white socks, they all, they, you know, girls these days in England anyway, dress like they go in football training, don't they? So they wear their they wear their tights and they wear their, their white socks pulled up over with their Adidas gazelles, and they think they look great, and we just think like they look like they're going training on a Tuesday night. Um, but those white socks that they wear, they're not cheap if you get a nice pair. Well, there you go. I won't try that one, but uh, you let me know how it goes. <laughs> I think I have actually got a pair of white socks, so I shouldn't probably mock it. Um, the main thing, I think, my Christmas tip is just make sure you have fun. And like, I see a lot around at the moment, loads of articles about how stressed everyone is, about like how much money they've got to spend on presents or about like what they've got to eat or what they where they've got to go. And I think you have to kind of treat it because it is, it does feel a pretty stressful time right now. Like cost of living crisis actually seems to have hit everyone. And I've never really seen something that is like as far fetched as this in terms of like all of my mates seem to complain. Normally you get one or two people complaining about something, but like yeah. it really feels it's like rubbish right now. You're right. No matter what you're doing or where you're at, and like, like you've, you're kind of hit by the way the world is right now. So I think like more than ever, it's important to like pick and mix the bits that you like about Christmas and do them and enjoy them. And the bits that you don't like, just don't get involved. Like if you, I don't know, if you don't like the turkey, then go through the motions of sitting around, but you don't have to indulge in that part. Just later on, order yourself a Chinese. Do it. If you want to do that, if you'd rather have a Chinese on Christmas, have a Chinese. If you don't like, I don't know, the religious aspect of it, don't worry about it. You don't have to. Just go through the motions again, zone out if you don't like it, and then crack on with what you enjoy on Christmas. Your favourite chocolates, your favourite pair of socks, your favourite snack, whatever it is, just make sure that on the day you find something that is going to be special for you that you wouldn't do on a normal day. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Well done. I'm not sure about your socks point, but I'll take that one on board, I think. Well, I've kind of fought heating these days. You need a nice, <laughs> nice warm pair of socks. <laughs> no, it's a fair point. It's a very fair point. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a bit of a wild Christmas in so many different ways, right? And I think that it is important just to remember that it is supposed to be about having a laugh. It's supposed to be fun. And it's yeah, supposed to be about love good, and right? seeing people and stuff. So like, just make sure that you enjoy those aspects of it and don't let yourself get caught up in the negative moments of it because you know we get stressed about other stuff in life we shouldn't get stressed about that day no it should be a nice day right 100 yeah. percent. this if this you don't celebrate period. christmas then just find some cool stuff to do or go out because there'll be no one else out there yeah some coffee shops around here that are open on christmas day i'm thinking i might pop down there for a nice one of my lattes with oat milk mate my fate the, the best bit about about it is for me is the one pint you get on christmas day that's in a pub yeah, that just just that one because you can't be too out for too long. In we my, can't because the pub's shut at two o'clock. Least, you can't be out for too long, but you get no. you get one one yeah. sneaky one in somewhere, and it's worth having. So it's, it, that's a nice it, moment. So that's yeah, the that, one. That's the is, one thing I'm going to be I'm going to be looking forward. It's going to be your special moment, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, enjoy it, mate. Moment. Enjoy uh, it. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to see my cousins. It's going to be great. Have a laugh. Yeah, oh. done no Christmas shopping. Incredibly going to be incredibly stressed over the next few days. Yeah, but it is what it is. About it. Pop online later, order a few bits and hope they arrive. Yeah, they're not going to arrive. They don't. Every, arrive. Everyone will get over it. They'll <laughs> yeah. get over it. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, hopefully. Jack, in, in this episode of Jack's Ruined Christmas, uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we'll talk about that on Boxing Day, though. So we will. Right. 
with that, I think it's probably time for us to call this a day. We will be dropping some episodes over the next couple of weeks talking about the various football that's going on. It feels like there is football almost every day from here until about January the 4th. So we'll be doing our best to keep on top of it here and on the Patreon feed. And over there, we're going to be looking at the start of the transfer window as well. We've seen Donny van der Beek, the first big name, looks like he's on the move in January. Off to Eintracht Frankfurt, by all accounts. But Dean's going to be across all of the transfer news in January. We're going to be doing shows regularly, both here and on the Patreon, but more kind of topical, I think, probably over there because they become a little bit quicker and faster and have a little bit more fun. So if you do fancy joining, there's a link in the description. We'd love to have you over there. Free trials available. Cetera, Great Christmas present, actually. There you there go. You go. Solved that. You got, don't know what you want for Christmas? Get a Ranks Patreon subscription. Happy days. Sorted. Sorted. We offer all things here at Ranks <laughs> FC. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for listening as ever. We hope you all have a wonderful festive holiday period, whatever you're doing whatever you're trying to enjoy over this period. We hope that it's a brilliant one for you. Thank you very much to our Christmas guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Have a good one, everyone. I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been Ranks AFC. We'll see you all very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your King. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, Get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.